That will be our text today as we continue our study through this fascinating book. A number of years ago, D. James Kennedy wrote a book called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? I've never read it. Maybe some of you have. Um, but I, heard, I recall hearing an interview with him and having just kind of looked over uh, some of the contents of the book. Dr. Kennedy goes into detail, not so much from the spiritual or religious side of what would happen if Jesus had never been born, but more on the, uh, the natural side of things. For instance, because of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Since that time, things like education, Christians have been at the forefront of educating people, have been at the forefront of hospitals, have been at the forefront of civil rights, have been at the forefront of a variety of different things, have been at the forefront of uh, social aid to those who, who are in need. And if Christ had never been born... I'm not saying these things would have never occurred, but we would probably be decades, if not centuries, behind. And so as we come to Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to address this question from a position slightly different from Dr. Kennedy, but I'm going to ask the same question. What if Jesus had never been born? And so... As we consider the book of Revelation, let me give you just a quick review of where we have been and then perhaps a a brief preview of where we are going and then we'll delve into this fifth chapter. You'll recall in John chapter, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 4, actually Revelation 4 and 5 are the same scene. It is John has been ushered into heaven. It says that John was in the spirit and uh, a door was opened in heaven and the voice of the one who spoke to him at first, the voice that sounded like a trumpet, said, come up here and I'll show you the things that must take place after these things. And John was ushered into the throne room of heaven and actually given a glimpse of glory. And in chapter 4, what we see, or what John sees and communicates to us, actually to the seven churches that this letter is written to, but of course then to us as well. But what John sees is this marvelous and glorious vision of the one seated on the throne. And the one seated on the throne was like precious stones. And, and we see these heavenly attendants surrounding uh, the one who is seated on the throne. And from the throne comes flashes of lightning and thunder. And it's a spectacular scene. And all of those who are surrounding the throne give praise and honor and glory to the one seated on the throne because he is the one who created all things and for whom all things were created. And now we move into chapter 5 and it's just a continuation of the same theme. John is still looking and beholding what's going on. Only now John focuses on... causes us to focus on a a different aspect. In chapter 4, we were focused on the one seated on the throne who who looked, uh, who simply had the appearance of precious stones, and now our vision will focus to a lion who looks like a lamb who was slain. And what we will see is that 
as the one on the throne in chapter 4 is praised as creator for whom all things were created and by whom all things were created. Now we will be given, now we'll focus on the Lamb who recreates and redeems and carries out God's eternal purposes. After which, all of heaven falls and gives glory and praise and honor to the one who is seated on the throne. And then all of creation gives praise and glory and honor to the one seated on the throne and the Lamb who looks as though he had been slain. So let's go ahead and read our text today and then we'll uh, look at it in a little bit more detail. Chapter 5, verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What an amazing, spectacular uh, scene that John is given privilege to glimpse. Much of what we're seeing in this chapter revolves around this scroll, this book. And we learn that this book, it's actually a scroll, um, was written on the front and the back, and that's fairly unusual. Most of the time scrolls would have been written on one side, um, but this scroll is written on the front and the back. It is also sealed with seven seals. And the other interesting thing about this scroll is that none was worthy to open it. And so I suppose before we continue on in our study, we should ask, what in the world is this scroll? The reason we want to ask, what in the world is this scroll, is because the contents of this scroll are of such great importance to John 
that if this scroll is to remain, that this scroll remaining sealed caused John great sorrow. It caused him to mourn. It caused him to weep. So whatever is in this scroll, its remaining sealed was a cause of great sorrow, a cause of weeping, and a cause of mourning. John's thinking, oh my goodness, if this thing stays sealed, this is terrible. It needs to be opened. But here's the problem. There is nobody worthy, not in heaven, not on the earth, nowhere in all of creation is there one worthy to open the scroll. And as a result, John weeps. John mourns. Oh my goodness, something terrible is the result of this scroll remaining closed. And you will notice the scroll cannot be opened by just anybody. Strength is not the issue here. Seals aren't very strong. Most people could break them. Besides, we have a strong angel here. That is, we'll see a strong angel in the book, of, uh, in, the cha- in chapter 5. Certainly a strong angel had the ability to open the scroll. But the issue here is not strength. The issue here is... The issue here is worthiness. And there is nobody worthy to open the scroll. So now we have to ask ourselves, what is this scroll? If it is so important, what is this scroll? Can we identify it? Well, one of the things you're going to hear me say as we go through the book of Revelation, if you haven't already heard me say a lot, one of the things you're going to hear me say a lot is that, well, there are a lot of ideas about this particular subject. So let me just go ahead and say, well, there are a whole lot of ideas about what the scroll is. Some have said it's the Old Testament. Some have said also there's all sorts of ideas. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, can we know what this scroll is? I'm going to propose that we can. Now, as we go through the book of Revelation, there's going to be a number of images and visions and things that I want to say, well, you know what? I think that this is what we're talking about here. But I'm not 100% certain. I think we can be fairly, fairly secure in what this scroll is. And one of the ways, so yes, can we identify? Well, here's how we interpret Scripture. As we go about and we, and we look at various aspects of Scripture and, and, and what we need to uh, consider, the best way for us to interpret Scripture is to recognize that Scripture interprets Scripture. Biblical interpretation, lesson number two. Scripture interprets Scripture. Does anybody know what lesson number one is? Please, somebody know. Context, context, context. So, but Scripture interprets Scripture. So, and that's especially true in the book of Revelation because John is immersed in the Old Testament. And the book of Revelation is saturated with Old Testament images. In fact, we can probably not get through. There are probably very few verses that we can look at in the book of Revelation and not see an echo back to the Old Testament. Especially the book of Ezekiel, and especially the book of Daniel, and especially Isaiah, and especially Zechariah. John loves Ezekiel. John loves Daniel. And John loves Zechariah. 
And so we are going to, it's not, it should not be too big of a stretch for us to consider interpreting what John sees through the grid of the Old Testament. Because I think John being saturated in scripture, seeing these heavenly scenes, filters them through his understanding of the Old Testament. And in the book of Ezekiel, we see a very, very similar image. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we see a scroll that is written on the front and the back. And this is pretty unusual. And so we should take note of it. So we know that John loves the first two chapters of Ezekiel. He references them often. And we see this scroll that is unusual because it is written on the front and the back. And so we see, then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. And when he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back. And on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. And so this scroll that was written on the front and the back that uh, Ezekiel saw was one of lamentation and woe. But perhaps we find our greatest parallel um, to understanding what this scroll is. Um, We find our greatest parallel in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 um, really, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 4 and 8. I'm going to actually read from verse 1. So, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever. But as for you, verse 4, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. I'm going to jump forward to verse 8. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these? thing of these events he said go your way Daniel for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time and so Daniel has this book that he seals until the end time and in this book are written the are written about those who will be raised to new life resurrected and those who will be judged so Starting to get a little bit of a picture of this book. This book seems to have lamentations and woe to those who are rebellious. It also brings forth the promise of those, promise of resurrection to those who will follow the Lord. But we have one other really great passage that helps us to identify the, the scroll, this book. And the other great passage or passages that help us to understand what this book is, is the rest of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 through at least 20, but humor me, we'll go all the way through 22. Why do I say that? Well, everything that happens in the rest of the book of Revelation occurs because these seals are open. I mean, you're saying, well, we have trumpets judgments, and we have bowl judgments, and we have all of these other things that happen, but they all occur because these seals are broken first. 
None of this, none of the book of Revelation happens unless the seal is broken. Unless these seals are, are broken. And so in Revelation chapter 6 through 22, we, what do we see? We see martyrs avenged. We see the prayers of the saints answered. We see the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. We see the wicked are judged. We see Jesus returns. We see God reigning in glory in the new heaven and the new earth. And if this book is not open, then martyrs are not avenged. Prayers of the saints are not answered. The kingdoms of this world do not become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. The wicked are not judged. Jesus does not return. God does not reign in glory in a new heaven and a new earth. What would happen if Jesus was never born? Can you see why John mourns? John is saying, this, unless these seals are broken, and somebody is worthy to bring about God's redemptive purposes, and that God will bring about all of His promises that He has promised in Christ Jesus, unless, that, unless there's somebody worthy to open the seals, then none of that occurs. And if the seals are not open, life is hopeless. We prayed this morning, and you have probably certainly seen on the news of these young girls, I'd like to say kidnapped, but they were not kidnapped. Um, there is no ransom. This isn't like we're giving back if you give us a million dollars. These Nigerian girls will be sold into the sex trade and sold as slaves from some terrorist group. These seals are not open. Those people are not judged. They, perhaps some of them, would even come to know Christ as the gospel presents to them. And they will. That will not happen. These seals are not open. Those who died in faith died uselessly and senselessly. And John weeps because life has no meaning. Justice is not done. There is no hope. You are just a biological creature made to function for a while and then cease to exist and go into the dust and never be remembered. And John weeps. The world is hopeless. Who can set in motion the redemptive plans of God? Who can bring about Revelation chapter 6 through 20? Who can make certain that the kingdoms of our Lord become the kingdoms of Christ? Who can open the seals so that the martyrs are avenged? Who can open the seals that will show forth Christ returning in glory and honor and praise? Who will establish the new heaven and the new earth? And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and the seven seals. Stop weeping. The lamb has overcome. The destiny of the universe is held in the hands of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, the overcomer. I want you to understand why is Jesus able to open the seals? Because Jesus has overcome. What does that mean? 
It means that Jesus went to a cross, died for our sakes, for our sins, and rose again, conquering death. Because Jesus has overcome, because He is the crucified, risen, ascended Savior, He is worthy to open up these seals. Because Jesus is risen, Jesus is worthy to set forth the plans of God and to bring them to fruition. Stop weeping. Because He has triumphed, You'll notice that that is an accomplished fact. Because he has overcome, because he has overcome, the time has now come to execute judgment on behalf of the people of God and to complete their victory. God is going to bring about all of his promises. Weep no more. You and I, weep no more. God will bring about all of His purposes, all of His promises, all of the redemptive plans of God are yes and amen. They will happen. Why? Because Jesus has overcome. Because He has risen from the dead and He is seated at the right hand of power and He now has a scroll. He has all of history in His hands and He will bring about His purpose and accomplish His will. So John is told this this lion who is the tribe of Judah and bringing back visions of Genesis chapter 49 and that he is the root of David bringing forth images from Isaiah 11 you'll notice that he is not just the branch of David he's the very root of David he's the source of David David has his source in this lion who is the tribe of, who is of the tribe of Judah He's not just the offspring of David. He's the very source from which David sprang forth. And expecting to see this fierce lion, John turns and instead of a lion sees a lamb looking as though he was slain. We should learn a lesson from this. That Jesus is the overcoming victor. He is the overcoming victor, not as the lion, but as the lamb. Jesus' triumph is not through military might. It is not through political power. It is not through executive decisions. It is through his sacrifice. Folks, victory is redefined in the book of Revelation. Victory is redefined in the person of Jesus Christ. Victory for you and for I does not come from political power. It does not come from military might. It does not come from any of those. It does not come from being strong or powerful. It comes from laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Victory has been redefined. This is why in the book of Revelation, martyrdom looks like victory. Chapter 12 Verse 11. And they overcame him, that is, they, these martyrs, overcame the beast. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. They were the overcomers. Notice who's an overcomer. Jesus is an overcomer. These people who loved their lives even when they loved Christ more than their own lives, they are identified with Christ as overcomers as well. We overcome not by political power. We overcome by loving Christ more than this life itself and laying down our lives for the cause of Christ. 
So John sees this, this lion who is a lamb standing as if slain in the center of the throne. You'll notice that John now focuses on this lion who is a lamb. And you'll notice that now the focus of attention, the focus of John is, no, is, is on this lamb. It is not upon heavenly attendance. It is not around. It is not about four living creatures or 24 elders or myriads of angels. It is John is intently gazed upon this lamb looking as though he has been slain. Jesus is now the focal point. And we see that this lamb who was slain has seven horns indicating all power uh, and these eyes. And we've already identified these eyes as the spirit of the Lord. And you can go back and listen to the page or find some notes out in the foyer. So I won't go back over all of that. But Jesus has the fullness of the spirit and all authority and power. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. Or this lamb what this lamb does. He came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne, the audacity of the lamb, to walk up to the very throne of heaven as though he owned the place. He does. And takes the scroll. In all of heaven, none are worthy to take the scroll. Not the 24 elders, not the four living creatures, not the myriad of angels. None of them are worthy to take the scroll. But the lamb who was slain walks up and takes the scroll. And upon taking the scroll, heaven rejoices. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand and sat on the throne. And when he took the book, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down before the lamb. And worshipped. This is the reaction of heaven. The reaction of heaven of the victory and the overcoming glories of Christ is that heaven worships. And they sing a new song. I discussed maybe it was last week or the week before that call. And in the Bible, when a new song is mentioned, it is a song of victory. And so Jesus now takes a scroll, and all of heaven begins to sing a new song because this is a victory. They worship and they sing. The crucified, buried, risen, ascended, ruling Lamb is now in control of history. Praise Him and rejoice. John, weep no more. Everything is securely placed in the hands of the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. You'll see that as they fall down to worship, they do so with harps and golden bowls full of incense. And they worship the Lamb. I saw between the throne... I'm sorry, jump forward just a little bit. 
And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. That's a song of victory. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Worship by the elders, and I believe that the elders represent the created order. Four speaks of creation. The number four speaks of creation in the book of Revelation, and we see um, representations of the created order in the faces of these four living beings. You can look back in chapter four. I think they represent the created order. And 24 elders, which I believe represent the redeemed. And so the elders representing the redeemed and the four living creatures representing all of creation fall down in worship. And they have instruments in prayer. I believe that it could be prayer, any prayer of the saints, but probably specifically, as we'll see later on, prayer for vindication. Lord, have mercy. Lord, vindicate us. We, we gave our lives for the sake of the gospel. Now vindicate us. Let me mention something about harps. This isn't very serious, but I'll just mention something about harps. So I'll use it for all you musicians. Harps are happy instruments. So this is a happy song. Alright? Harps do not play dirges. Harps, I think, could most parallel our banjo. I'm not saying this is a banjo. But when you hear a banjo, you don't sit there and mourn. Your foot starts going, and your head starts bopping. And you start going. It's a happy instrument. Banjos are happy instruments. Harps were happy instruments. This is a song of joy. This is a song of rejoicing. It is a new song because it is a victory that the Lamb has overcome. And it's the prayers of the saints, prayers for vindication. Jesus is worthy. Why is he worthy? He's worthy because what he has accomplished, that is, he gave his life and rose from the dead. Jesus is worthy because of what he has accomplished, and what he has accomplished is what nobody on heaven and earth could accomplish. Nobody else could purchase salvation. Nobody else could open the scroll. Only Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, could die for our sins, rise and give eternal life, and hence he is worthy to open the scroll. And for this, heaven rejoices. And the people, and you will see that Jesus purchased for himself from every corner of the earth, from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. Once again, you see the number four representing all of creation. All of creation is now represented by the Lamb. All of creation has access to salvation. Everybody now has access to the gospel. Jesus has purchased people from every corner of the earth. Redemption for all people without distinction. There is no corner of the earth where you can go where the gospel is not valid. There is no slum. There is no barrio. There is no inner city. There is no prison cell. There is no slave ship. There is nowhere where you can go where the gospel is not valid and where the gospel cannot bring salvation because Jesus has overcome. 
and he has purchased from every tribe and tongue and nation. And because of his victory, all who belong to him will reign with him. Do you believe that? I hope so, because he's going to open the scrolls. And part of opening the scrolls is that you and I will reign with Christ forever and ever. Yeah, this is why John weeps when the scroll is not opened. None of that happens. And then we see, and then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of them, thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor. So now we see... What we've been seeing is we've been seeing the throne and we've been seeing these four living creatures and 24 elders, but now we see angels, myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. What we've, myriads is simply 10,000. And I suppose we could do the math. We wanted to say, well, it's 10,000 times 10,000. I think that's a million. I don't think John's intending us to do the math. Because a myriad is just an insurmountable, a number that I can't even begin to fathom. And not only were there myriads that I can't even fathom, but there were myriads of myriads, just angelic beings as far as the eye can see. Not just four, not just four living creatures and 24 elders falling before the Lamb, but now all of the heavenly, the angelic heavenly hosts have come to join into the praise of the one who takes the scroll and will begin to bring about the purposes of God's plans. All proclaiming the worthiness of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then, as if that's not enough, every created thing which is on heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying. This seems to point to a future time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But what John is seeing now is every creature, every creature under heaven, every creature in the sea and all that is in it, in the heavens and under the heavens and on the earth and under the earth and every creature, every bird and every dolphin and every fish and every person and every angelic being and everyone who is dead and everyone who is alive and every cricket and every crawling thing, every Oak tree and every rosebud rejoices that the Lamb has risen. The Lamb has conquered. Praise be to the Lamb of God. All of creation is now rejoicing. Every knee is bent. Every tongue is confessing. Not only is every tongue confessing, but every plant and animal is singing forth praises. So we have this throne. Who, and seated on the throne is one who's... Appearance was like precious stones and the Lamb appearing as he is slain. And around the throne are 24 elders and four living creatures, then myriads and myriads of angels, and then everything ever created. Praising God because the Lamb took the scroll. This is an amazing chapter. And when they do this, the four living creatures say, Amen. So simple. Yes, it is. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I'll conclude with this.
What if Jesus had never been born? I think Dr. Kennedy's book approaches that question from a very appropriate angle. But the book of Revelation approaches it from a completely different angle. What if Jesus had never been born? What if Jesus had never died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and was never seated at the right hand of the Father? Then you and I would be lost in our sins. And the kingdoms of this world would not become the kingdoms of Christ. And Christ would not return in glory and splendor. And the new heavens and the new earth would not be recreated. And you would not rise from the dead with a resurrected body. You would die in your sins. All of the book of Revelation occurs because the Lamb is worthy to open the seals. And He does. And when He does, judgment goes forth and the wicked are judged. Justice is done. The righteous are raised. Those who confess Christ will be vindicated. Today you are mocked. Today you are a backwards Neanderthal troglodyte by the things of this world. But the seals are opened. And Jesus will declare you and vindicate you and say it was worth it. And you will say it was worth everything. Call me what you will. But I am a servant of the Lamb of God. So where do your allegiances lie? Do your allegiances lie with your job or with something that just pales in comparison to this image of Christ? It's time, folks. It's time for us to fall down and worship and put Jesus in his rightful place in our lives. He's already Lord, whether you confess that or not. We might as well just start living as though he's Lord. He's Lord, whether you believe it or not. He's Lord, whether you think he's a myth that I made up in my own mind. He's still Lord. Folks, behind all of history is there is one who's on the throne and the Lamb of God who has redeemed all mankind. Folks, Jesus is our friend, but he is much more than a friend. He's not one whose ideas can simply be taken or left at our own discretion. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus rules. Jesus is coming back again. Glory to the name of Jesus. I'll repeat with the elders. Amen. Father, we come before you and we give you praise and we give you thanks for all that you've done. We are so undeserving of anything that you would have for us.